Welcome to another iGrow season at APC. We're so glad you've tuned in. Our church is blessed with excellent teachers of the Word of God, and our hope is that you find today's teaching enlightening, motivational, and encouraging. To learn more about our church, visit theapc.org or find us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. So sit back, relax, and enjoy today's lesson. get started at the basics and what is more basic when learning about a character than their name. So um, the meaning of the name Abraham, um, let's go ahead, the meaning of the name itself um, holds the identity of a person. I think no. sides. Go back to slide one. <laughs> I think you missed something and went to slide like three. I just tried to scroll. Okay, yeah, go down to the bottom. There you go. There you go. Okay. <laughs> You're like me. I just learn as I go. We're gonna. We're gonna. That's <laughs> right. Okay. There you go. If I mess it up, you'll have to tell me because I can't. I moved closer to Vince, so now I really can't see very easily. Okay, so back to names. Um, in today's time, when we have children, um, you know, we get pregnant and we spend months, approximately nine of them, contemplating <laughs> the perfect name for our kid, yeah. every single one that we have. Nobody has a kid and desires to give their child an ugly name like a Bertha or a Rufus. No <laughs> offense if anybody in this room likes those names, but they're not my favorite. I probably won't be naming my children those names. But nobody sets out to give their child a name that they don't like. We borrow names from family members we may respect or love, or from books we've read, maybe shows we've watched, um, pages on the internet, just looking for something that sounds pretty. But we also avoid names of those people we might not like or might not respect. Mm -hmm. um, I know <laughs> with pretty much any pregnant lady I've met who's looking for ideas on what to name their child, you'll it's happened to me multiple times where I would give a suggestion and you're like, oh no, I can't name them that. That's so-and-so's name. And they don't even yeah. explain. Yeah. They don't have to explain. They're just like, that's so-and-so's mm. name. I can't use it. I'd be teacher saying, yeah. I use a certain name because all of them, usually. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> why is that the case? Because whether we acknowledge it or not, it's something we don't really think about, but the name is linked to the character of the person. We want to give our children names that we feel are beautiful or strong or at least memorable because at the end of the day, as they grow up, their name will speak to who they are. Um, Proverbs, there's some, I know I asked you to read, but there's some like one-liners I'm just gonna Go read. for no, it, sister. I'll <laughs> hit you up when I need you. <laughs> um, so Proverbs 22.1 says that a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor rather than silver and gold. The act of 
physically naming also demonstrates authority. When God created man, what did he do? He gave him a name. And the name Adam in Hebrew translates to man. And his name also derives from another Hebrew noun, Adama, which means earth or the ground. You know, and the Bible tells us that Adam was born of the dust of the ground. So creative, right? Mm -hmm. Very, very literal, very meaningful, um, as he was a man created from the ground. Um, and one of the first jobs he gave Adam was to give names to everything under his care. To give a name to someone or something is to, at the end of the day, demonstrate some sort of level of power to a certain extent. And to give a name also reveals a level, okay, a level of intimacy. So naming, giving a name happens within the context of relationships. We give names to our children because they're <coughs> our kids. They're under our care, they depend on us, and they have, and we will continually build relationships with them. So that's what qualifies us to give them that name. And when God came to Abraham, he changed his name, he changed his identity, and he entered into a more special covenantal relationship with him. So let's back up a little bit and piece together some background. Alright, so where and how he lived. Here's the map I was talking about. Maybe I'll be able to reach it. Um, so originally, Abraham was from Ur. And from what we know of Ur, this was um, a prosperous and advanced city. It was also a pagan city located in the southern part of what we know to be Mesopotamia. And I circled them. Um, there's a few slides I'll have maps. I just like seeing visuals of places in the Bible. I feel like it's easy to, um, like when you're reading genealogy, it's easy to tune out. <laughs> I like seeing um, family trees rather than reading genealogies, and I like seeing maps rather than reading about journeys. So I've got a few maps on here, and usually the places I'm talking to are circled in pink, so, because I'm not going to be able to reach them to show you. <laughs> um, but this is a bit of a side note, but um, talked about how Ur was located in southern Mesopotamia. Um, I remember learning in like sixth grade, I was 12 years old, um, about the first civil civilization called Mesopotamia um, from my teachers. And to me, it's always cool to see that biblical history that parallels with our worldly account of history. Mm -hmm. And I remember when I when I learned that at school, I remember going home and studying that out for the first time for myself. And it just really gave me a sense of validation because for the first time I knew and I understood that my Bible was true. And it wasn't just because somebody in my immediate circle told me that it was. Um, but it was also because the history as we know it testifies that it is true. So those are, they're cool things to discover in the Word of God every day, at any age, at all times, even stuff as simple and as seemingly silly as finding um, 
finding similarities on a map. Um, that's what it was for me. But So his uh, wealth and occupation. The Bible tells us that Abraham was quite wealthy, and he had many servants, and he was also probably familiar with shepherding since he had many flocks and herds. Um, Genesis 13, 12 tells us that Abraham was very rich in cattle, in silver, and in gold. Um, and from the biblical account, it seems that Abraham was also wise and well-educated, which might not have necessarily been the norm at this time. Um, not every city was civilized. Not every city had education or you know, schooling systems like that. But some scholars believe that Abraham was also a merchant. Um, and I kind of had to look this up because I've always heard that. I was like, what, what even is a merchant? What does that mean? Um, so the Hebrew word for merchant is from the root meaning to travel about or to migrate. Um, and from my research, it told me that in ancient times, a lot of merchants tended to travel about with their merchandise from place to place, you know, trying to barter and sell their inventory, what they had. Um, good. Um, so some of his ancestry and family life. Uh, Abraham was the 10th generation from Noah. So looking at kind of a timeline of some major biblical events, we went from uh, the flood to the Tower of Babel, and then over here is Abraham. Um, and scholars argue that there was about 100 years between the flood and the tower, and then Abraham was born after that. So we've got quite a good chunk of time between the flood and Noah and the life of Abraham. Ten generations in, in biblical times, they were living well over 100 years, so I mean... <laughs> That's hundreds of years removed from the flood and God's mercy and, and Noah. Um, and one would assume, which I kind of did at first, that uh, Abraham, you know, he's known as the father of faith, uh, it's kind of assumed that maybe he would inherit his relationship with God or inherit kind of his love for the Lord, learn those things from his family or his heritage uh, to some extent, um, at least in part. But from what we understand of Abraham's father and of his family, they were not followers of God. They were not godly men. Um, and then, yeah, I think I'm going to go ahead. Can you read Joshua 24 too? Yeah. It's up there. Yeah. And Joshua said unto all of the people, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in the old time, even Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nacor, and they served other gods. Yes, ma'am, I did. So from this verse, from Joshua 24 to we see that Abraham's father and his grandfather worshipped false gods, which was pretty standard at this time. And yet God called Ab Abram at this time to be that avenue by which redemption for the entire world would come, which I thought was really cool. Like I said before, um, 
before kind of studying this out for the first time when I first learned it, um, you just assume people like this in the Bible, your, your heroes, your patriarchs, yeah. you assume that um, they came from a lineage, a heritage uh, that kind of formed that for them. Um, and I think that's a lot due to kind of our church culture today. Um, I don't know, I just always assume somebody that is steadfast in the faith, a lot of times it's due to their upbringing. It's due to a lot of those good influences that they had growing up. So it's just cool to me. It's so uh, cool to me to find out that Abraham was a first generation. He was a convert and he still was did great things and was the father of our faith. Um, can you go ahead and read Genesis 11, 31, and 32? 11, 31. Yep, now we're kind of talking about his journey um, from his hometown to Canaan. I didn't really circle. This says right. This is where he was born. Okay. And Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Hera his son's son, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, and uh, daughter-in-law his son Abram's wife, and they went forth with them from Ur of the Chaldees to go into the land of Canaan, and they came unto Hera and dwelt there. And the days of Terah were two hundred and five years, and Terah died. In Haran. Okay. Can you keep reading okay. through chapter 12 to verse 3? Yep. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will shew thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and cursed, curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Alright. So, the, the two chapters that Sister Erica just read, um, there's some confusion involved in here and discrepancy about when exactly God first called Abram out of Ur. And that's kind of just due to the language a little bit of the scriptures. Um, Genesis 11, the tail end of it that Erica just read, tells us that Abraham traveled with his father towards Canaan and also with Lot and Sarah. And then chapter 11 doesn't tell us why they were headed that way. It just says they were headed to Canaan and stopped in Haran. Um, and then upon first reading this, since it doesn't exactly tell us why they were going there, um, my first instinct was, um, after I had read that about um, him being a merchant, I was like, well, maybe they were just traveling, <laughs> selling their selling their inventory, selling their stuff. Um, but upon you know further research, um, Acts 2 actually tells us explicitly that God appeared to Abraham while he was still in Earth while he was home mm -hmm. um, and not in Haran. So the confusion is a little bit understandable because you go from 
the end of her chapter 11 that tells you that they're traveling and they stop in Haran. And then it says, now God, um, whatever the verbiage say. Now the Lord had said unto Abraham, get thee out of thy country. So it is a little confusing because it makes it seem as though they traveled up there and then that's when his father died and that's when God called him. But he was actually called before they even traveled there. Um, so that means when he was called at home, Abraham didn't leave his father or his family immediately. They actually traveled with him for a bit. And then for whatever reason, they stopped in Haran. Um, and that's where Abraham's father died. And then he went ahead and journeyed the rest of the way with Sarah and Lot. Which also was something new I learned. Okay. Um, can you go ahead and read? You actually just read 1 through 3. Can you just read 3 through 6? 3 through 6. Okay. Um, verse number 3. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all of their substance that they had gathered, and the souls that they had gotten had gotten into had gotten in Haran and they went forth to go into the land of Canaan and into the land of Canaan they came number six correct yeah okay and Abram passed through the land unto the place of Shechem unto the plain of Morah and the Canaanite was then in the land Is way up there. Well, so, I can't really read it. I, think, it? I think this top one is the Shikam. Shikam. Yeah, it's spelled differently than yeah. it is in the Bible, but I think that's the same place. And that entire area, it's circled there, is kind of the land of Canaan. There's multiple cities there. to be rebellious and sinful to God. Um, he first created the garden and um, gave Adam and Eve everything they could ever want or need, created this paradise for them. And then, you know, the, the great fall um, kind of ruined that for them. And then he sent the flood um, to wipe out the people then from their, you know, wickedness. And then he scattered the nations at the Tower of Babel and confused all the languages. And yet, people still didn't repent. We're a hundred years removed from the flood. Um, and people are still, you know, falling back into those pagan ways. 
So yet again, God has chosen one man, one family, and one nation out of the world and kind of established his promise with that man. So now, um, we're going from Canaan to Egypt. So once Abraham reaches the land of the Canaanites, like God had told him to, he doesn't actually stay there long. Because um, once he arrives, uh, the first thing he does is pitches a tent on a mountain near Bethel. And he, you know, built an altar to the Lord and worshipped him, but um, departed shortly after that. Um, Genesis 12, 9, and 10 tells us that he continues south down to Egypt. So you can see those circles there. Just went a little far south there um, because the Bible tells us that there was a great famine. Um, so they get to traveling to Egypt, and I have this, this picture in my head that I don't know why it always tickles me. But they get to traveling to Egypt. And I just picture Abraham looking over at Sarah and being like, you are too pretty. <laughs> and she's like blushing and she's like, thank you. And he's like, no, for real. And I'm tell them that you're my sister. And I just picture her being like, okay. Um, but that's exactly what they do. She goes along with it. And um, he, he talks about how the Egyptians are surely going to notice her beauty. So that's why he tells her to say that she's his sister, um, so that they won't kill him, essentially, to, to take her as their own. So she goes along with it, and the Egyptians did, in fact, notice her beauty, and Sarah was taken into Pharaoh's palace, but because they thought Abraham was just her brother, they, they didn't kill him. They, like, gave him, you know, they let him stay in the palace as well, took care of his animals. Um, but Genesis 12, 17 tells us that God actually plagued Pharaoh and his whole house for um, taking Sarah because they intended to take her as a wife when she was Abraham's. So once they realized that and that they were plagued, you know, Pharaoh comes to Abraham and is like, why did you say she was your sister? Like, I was going to mm -hmm. take her as a wife. And um, miraculously, Pharaoh sends them on their way um, doesn't really say anything further about why, but um, I would imagine once you've been plagued once, you <laughs> don't really want really to mess with it again. I'm um, pretty sure it's the So he just sends them on their way, and there they go. Um, so after that, Abraham takes Sarah and Lot, and they travel back out of Egypt. Um, the wording's kind of weird in the Bible here. It talks about they traveled out of Egypt back south. It's technically they're technically traveling north, but um, I think they just meant south of their land. But they were traveling from here there. Um, so he takes Sarah and Lot, travels out of Egypt back up into Bethel, where he first pitched that tent and he makes another altar to the Lord. And after surveying the scene, he was sitting there with Lot, um, it becomes clear to them that where they're at is not sustainable for all of them to stay. Um, and they kind of deduce that they're going to have to split up and, you know, settle in, in different lands there. Um, and Genesis 13, 7 also tells us that for whatever reason there was strife between 
Abraham's herdmen and Lot's. It doesn't say why, it just says that there was strife or beef for some reason. Um, so that was all the more reason for them to kind of separate and go their own ways. Um, so Abraham gives Lot the choice. He tells him, you know, you choose, you choose where you want to go and I'll go the other direction. So Lot chooses to pitch his tent near Sodom while Abraham stays kind of near the land of Canaan. Um, and the Bible tells us that the men of Sodom were, uh, this is a direct quote, it says they were wicked and full of sinners before the Lord exceedingly. Which is some pretty strong words. Um, you're wicked, the city is full of sinners exceedingly. So, what a way to be known. Um, and while Lot chose to pitch his tent, right in my picture? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Love it. Yes. And while Lot chose to pitch his tent near the wickedness and the sin, Abraham was dwelling in the land of Canaan where God had called him, and he receives more promises from God. If you could read Genesis 13, 14 through 8. I don't remember. Oh, it did. Okay. 14 through 18. And the Lord said unto Abram, After that lot was separated from him, lift up now thine eyes, and look from the place where thou, ha where thou art northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land which thou seest, to thee I will give it, and to thy seed forever. And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed be also numbered. Arise, walk through the land in the length of it, and in the breadth of it, and I will give it unto thee. Then Abram removed his tent and came and dwelt in the plain of... Yeah, I don't know either. <laughs> Mabry? Yeah. Mabry, okay, okay which is in Hebron, and built there an altar unto the Lord. Okay. So there Abraham is again building an altar to the Lord. We see a pattern here. Um, like I said, it's crazy, this, this boy, this man, who, you know, doesn't have the luxury of, you know, growing up with that, that rich heritage and passed down of loving the Lord and following his commandments. He's kind of creating this culture for himself. Um, and it's just fascinating to me, his, his dedication um, and his faithfulness as somebody who has no example to follow other than his own desire to know God. Um, so in this verse, these verses, the Lord tells Abraham to look around. He said, turn your eyes north, south, east, west, and everything that you see, I'll give it to you. Everywhere you can walk, I'll give it to you. And this, that's why this picture is up here. This always reminds me of the Lion King in that scene where um, Mufasa, mm -hmm. the king, is talking to Simba, and he tells him, he's talking to him about their kingdom, and Simba's like, well, what's, what's all ours? What is our kingdom? He said, everything the light touches, everything that you can see is ours, explaining that, that dominion to him. Um, so it's easy to kind of see those parallels um, only the Lord's promise is, is that much richer 
because not only does he promise him that everything you see is yours, everywhere you walk is yours, he tells him that your seed, your, your family, your descendants will be like the dust, as in nobody can even count the amount that you will have. Um, so in this passage, the Lord promises three things to Abraham. To Abraham himself, promises that land as far as he can see, and an abundance of generations of people. And then also to those generations that come from Abraham, he, can, he promises to continue those blessings for his generations and his seed forever. for Father Abraham because they always tell you when you're doing interviews that weaknesses is a dirty word, so we're not going to call them his weaknesses. They're areas of improvement. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've got another good. meme up there that I thought was funny. can't have any weaknesses if you can't think of any. So, um, I could think of some for Abraham. But he is known as this great father or patriarch of faith, but he was not perfect. Um, he wasn't the perfect choice when God first called him, um, nor was he perfect following that decision to, you know, follow God. And I think it's easy for us to kind of dissociate from biblical characters, like they're mm -hmm. not real, like they're exactly that, they're characters, kind of in a story in this, this book that we get to be a part of when we're reading it, but when we put it down, you know, it's like this, this story that we get to put away, um, like it never happened. So I think it's important for us to acknowledge uh, their shortcomings sometimes, not to necessarily magnify their flaws, but to highlight their humanity. It makes them more relatable to us. It makes us yeah. feel like those stumbles and those mistakes, they help us, when we see them in the Bible, they give us a reason to believe that God still loves us and God can use us even when we do fall short or even when we do make mistakes of any magnitude. Um, you know, there's countless mistakes in the Bible made by many different characters that are quite big. Um, and to me, as weird as that sounds, that's almost comforting for me, um, that no matter what I do to mess up, at least I'm not as bad as David, at least I'm not as bad as Abraham. Like, there's still, <laughs> there's still room, but... Um, even if I did do something bad or worse, like, I still truly believe that God is a God of redemption. But, mm -hmm. um, so, one of Abraham's areas of improvement, I think, is that he was deceptive. Um, we kind of talked about how when he went to Egypt, <coughs> he was uh, deceptive about his wife. Um, Two times, actually, we, we talked about one, but two times he lied and said she was his sister in order to avoid the possibility of being killed. He didn't even know he would have been killed. He was just assuming 
that if he told them the truth, they were surely going to kill him. Mm-hmm. Um, this was obviously a lie both times he said it, and the fact that Abraham felt the need to be dishonest about his relationship with his wife demonstrated a lack of faith that God would protect him in their time of need, even if it came to that. Um, And then the second one I have in here is um, a lack of faith, which, as the dubbed great father of faith, it's hard to believe that there was ever a time that Abraham doubted God. Um, But like I said, we tend to hold these biblical characters to a higher standard than we do other people or even ourselves. Um, And Abraham did demonstrate a lack of trust in God's promise um, to give him a son as well through Sarah. Um, He was pretty easily talked into something that was not God's will. He knew it wasn't God's will. He was given a very specific promise that it was going to come from his seed, with Sarah. Um, and like I said, he it didn't take much convincing for him to kind of step outside of God's will and to take Hagar, um, which was their Egyptian servant, I believe, mm-hmm. um, take her and, you know, conceive a child with her. Um, could you read Genesis 16? Just one and two. One and two? Okay. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him no children, and she had a handmaiden, an Egyptian whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said unto Abram, Behold, now the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go into my maid. It, It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarai. So we see here, it took all of one scripture amount of time for him to decide, yep, that's a good idea. (laughs) (laughs) She said, take this woman, and he said, okay. So with, did you say Hagar? Hagar? Mm -hmm. Hagar. Hagar. Mm -hmm. Definitely the same. You could say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I don't want to sound what you're Well, Hagar. 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 <laughs> anyway, so with Hagar, he followed Sarah's advice to do things his own way. Um, he got tired of waiting. She got tired of waiting. Mm-hmm. They saw this quote unquote way out, um, and they thought that they could create. A better future than what God had for them because they um, at that point had probably lost a little bit of faith that it was going to happen because the Bible does tell us that they were you know older in age and they were you know probably losing faith that the promise God gave them was gonna happen so this was an answer to their problem but not God's answer. Mm-hmm. It was a solution, but not God's solution. A decision they made, but not God's decision that they were following. Our answers and solutions will never fulfill God's promises, but this is a lesson that Abraham unfortunately had to learn the hard way. Yep. And the result was um, pretty devastating and is lasting even now in our current 
current climate and the conflict in the Middle East can all be traced back to this mistake. Um, and I mean, you talk about thousands of years later. Um, that is a mess up of massive proportions to me um, for the great father of faith. Um, but you, you can't build upon or strengthen what isn't tested. And Abraham's steadfast faith didn't just happen. It was built on a life of faith-testing situations that he did not always pass. But in the end, even when Abraham fell short, when Abraham was not faithful, God was faithful to his promises that he gave Abraham. So now that we've kind of unpacked um, some of his mistakes and the humanity um, some of Abraham's strengths as a man and as a Christian, um, he was very worshipful. So we talked about um, multiple times Abraham was continually building altars to God, and he was giving him glory and praise at pretty much every checkpoint of his life. Um, everything he did, every time he accomplished a task or got to a location, he he said, you know, hold up, and then I gotta go up to the mountain. I gotta create an altar, and I gotta, you know, praise God. Um, this showed us that oh, this showed us Abraham's dependence on God for everything in his life. Um, he kept coming back to that secret place where it was just him and God, and he was blessed for it. Um, another one of his strengths was prayer. Um, obviously, he was most likely doing this in the mountain as well when he created those altars. But um, in Genesis 18, uh, kind of explains how Abraham was pleading earnestly with God for the inhabitants of Sodom and Gomorrah. He was interceding on their behalf. Um, most of these were people he didn't know, um, but his prayer revealed a heart of love and compassion for those people, and not only did he care for them, but he was zealous to defend God's honor and justice. Um, he stood in that gap as an intercessory for that city. Um, and we should also, that's the kind of intercessory prayer we should be having for others with that boldness. Um, and then probably his most um, well-known quality is obviously his faith. Um, if you could read Hebrews 11, mm -hmm. 8 through 11. Yep. By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into the place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out not knowing whether he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Though faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive, to conceive seed, and was delivered of a child when she was past age, because... She judged him faithful who had promised. Okay. Thank you for being my reader tonight. You're so welcome. Um, 
Faith was Abraham's most outstanding quality by far. Um, although we certainly failed at times, like we've already talked about, he often showed amazing faith. Um, and when we think about that, some of the what are some of the examples that we can see from his life where he showed that great faith? He left his home when he didn't know the final destination. When, when God called him, he just asked him to leave his family. Um, Hebrews 11, 8, um, that she just read that first verse. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, um, he obeyed and he went out not knowing whither he went. Abraham also believed God's promise that he would have a son in his old age, though there were obviously moments of doubt to be clear, hence the whole Hagar situation. Um, the general trajectory of his entire life was, you know, believing in the Lord, believing in the impossible that he could do for him. Probably the largest display of faith that we can see in the Bible is Abraham's willingness to sacrifice his own son, believing that God would either raise him from the dead or that the Lord would provide a sacrifice. I mean, you talk about faith, I don't know any decent parent who would be willing to sacrifice their child. I mean, of course we all know that God is supposed to be number one in our life, but when it boils down to it, if you are asked to sacrifice your child, I mean, you're you're going to be thinking on that one for a long time um, to make that decision, I feel like, and some might not. Some might not be thinking a long time. They might just be giving you a note, but there had to have been, um, probably not going to read it, but... Um, it's in Genesis 22, the story of Abraham and Isaac, if you would like to read it. I don't know. But um, when this happened, there had to have been some questions out of Abraham, right? This, this is crazy to quite literally lay your only son at that. He did not have other children, and he had lived his whole life on this promise that God had given him of many many descendants and he has one son and God asks him to sacrifice the same son that he promised him um, and so he was asked to kill him by his own hands not just to sacrifice him and somebody else you know do the deed he had to kill him himself um, but we don't see in scripture that there is any hesitance from Abraham we just see the command from God and Abraham pack up his things and leave um, so some lessons that we can get from Abraham. I forgot to take this out. Oh, are you laughing at me? <laughs> I forgot. I forgot to... um, some lessons we can learn from Abraham, first and foremost, is to get out of your comfort zone, um, which I feel like <coughs> Abraham was really good at. Um, I cannot imagine if God told me right now to leave my family and just leave. There was no other instructions. There was nowhere to go. Just leave and start walking. They didn't have cars, buses, trains. <laughs> just pack stuff up and start walking. And I cannot even imagine the thought process to do that. It is just crazy to me. Um, he left his country, his friends, his 
other relatives in order to follow God's call. Um, he was commanded to start a journey to a destination that wasn't revealed, and the most important part of God's command was to go, to start moving. And once he was moving, it'd be easy for him to change, but that object, um, uh, an object that's not moving can't change direction. So at the time, um, Abraham's obedience is what really allowed him to kind of step into that call. Um, second lesson here, God is not a vengeful God. Um, there are countless examples of this in the Bible, um, but we're obviously talking about Abraham here. Uh, there were multiple mistakes just from Abraham's life where you can see God's mercy. Um, we talked about how God kind of had to have resets on the human race multiple times between Eden, the flood, the tower, and now, you know, Abraham. Um, he's not sitting there standing at the ready to destroy us the minute we make a mistake. You know, Abraham made that huge mistake in choosing to have that child with his servant when that wasn't God's plan. Mm -hmm. And while his motivation was to kind of help things along, he should have realized that God doesn't need our help. And it was sinful to step outside of God's design for marriage to achieve his goals rather than trusting and waiting for God's timing. Abraham's sin caused problems in his family and his marriage. And these problems are still, like we talked about, manifesting in the world today in many conflicts in the Middle East. And yet, even when Abraham failed, God looked out for him and kept his promise, and he didn't go back on that promise, even when Abraham did sometimes. And instead, he forgave and he restored Abraham, and he's a merciful God and will not cast us out when we make mistakes either. Um, and last but not least, wrapping up here, um, God's way is always better than ours. Um, he will never lead us in the wrong way, and there will be many times when we don't understand God's plan, um, and when we don't get many details, like Abraham did, and it's like trying to work a puzzle and only seeing one piece, or only being given one piece, and this piece doesn't look like anything to you, but when the whole puzzle is finished, the significance of that tiny piece is revealed that you never would have understood if he explained it all to you back then.